Welcome to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. Here's your host, the Bitcoin Boomer himself, Gary Leland. Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. I'm Gary Leland, your host, once again. And before we go any further, I want to thank BizTV and BizTalk Radio for their support on producing this show. They've been nothing but great here, so I do want to thank them before we go any further. Now, things are happening around the world. As I said every week, Bitcoin's high was over $60,000. That's the highest it's been. Now it's down around $40,000, $39,000. So it does fluctuate, but as for myself, I'm still holding my Bitcoin. I'm not giving up on Bitcoin anytime soon. Um, one of the things I do also want to talk about or let you know we're going to talk about is the second country in the world has announced Bitcoin as a national currency. That's right. The second country in the world has. San Salvador was the first, or El Salvador. And then the second one is the uh, Central African Republic. So two countries now, two down, 160 or something to go. But things are happening all over the place for Bitcoin. Not only countries are buying it, companies are moving into Bitcoins. ETFs should be coming out soon for Bitcoins. We had one not too long ago come out in Australia. This is a worldwide currency. So things are happening all over the world. Now, on this show, our goal is to educate you about Bitcoin. That's it. We just want to let you know what Bitcoin is what the possibilities for Bitcoin are, and where it should go in the future. I bring on guests on this show that know maybe more than I do, like C.J. Wilson today is going to come in and talk about his uh, coalition, his Bitcoin Today Coalition, and what it's doing for the, for the Bitcoin world. So if you watch this show on a regular basis, you will get a grasp of what Bitcoin is and how it's going to change your future. Um, you, you may get interested enough that you start buying Bitcoin. And you may not, but that's up to you. At least you'll have the facts. And if you're hanging out at the water cooler at the office and someone's talking about Bitcoin, you'll have a basic idea of what they're talking about. And you'll be able to bring maybe some information to the conversation. So please stay tuned and watch this show. I also recommend you tell your friends about this show so they can catch future episodes. Whether you're listening on the radio station or on the TV, watching the TV show, whichever way it's going, I think this show you'll find interesting if you're interested in finding out what Bitcoin is. Now, we'll be back right after this commercial break with C.J. Wilson, a friend of mine, and he helped me write a book. He was a co-writer on our book, Bitcoin and the American Dream. So please come back right after these words from our sponsor and join us for a great show. Okay, guys, this is Gary Leland, the Bitcoin Boomer, and you need to come here if you want to find out what Bitcoin is, if you want to just meet some great people and have a great time, come to BitBlock Boom. But there's one thing, you have to be a Bitcoiner. We don't allow shitcoiners. Last week in August, every year, moving to Austin. Yeah, I love coming to BitBlock Boom because it's like, it's like Mecca for Bitcoiners. Like, everybody here is like part of the hardcore, like, inner sanctum. Um, you just have these conversations with everybody where like, you can see it in their eyes that they believe the same things that you believe. You come to BitBlock Boom once, you're going to come every year. Speakers are great, the networking is great, because you know, that's really what it's about when you're uh, a Bitcoiner, especially when you're a new Bitcoiner, is you want to network with as many Bitcoiners as you can and learn, because there's so much information, not only about Bitcoin, 
but about money in general. Hey, so I'm down here at Bitblock Boom, and what energy, what a lot of fun. It's all Bitcoiners and uh, just good people. That's the one thing that, that all my interactions that I've had with people, you can tell you're just dealing with a culture of people that just want to make the world a better place. So if you want to come to a Bitcoiner conference, not a crypto conference or a shitcoiner conference, if you want to come to a Bitcoin conference, you would come to Bitwadboom. But like I said, don't even mess with it. Don't even think about it. Don't even attempt to buy a ticket if you're a shitcoiner because your money's going to come back and you'll just make us both work. But if you're a Bitcoiner, you need to sign up and come to Austin now come to Bitwadboom. And welcome back to the Bitcoin for Boomer Show. I'm your host, Gary Leland, and we're going to be joined today by C.J. Wilson, a very involved Bitcoiner. He's been giving us a lot of information that I think is going to be kind of new to you from other shows we've done. Now, before we get into that, I do want to tell you about BitBlock Boom. BitBlock Boom is the Bitcoin conference I host every year, and this year it's in Austin, Texas. The last week in August every year, and this is our fifth year. So if you're interested in finding out about Bitcoin or learning about Bitcoin or networking with Bitcoiners, please go to bitblockboom.com. You know, this conference is kind of different than any other conference I've been to. I had more people from out of state than I do from in the state of Texas. So this is a conference that people fly in for. So check out bitblockboom.com. Now let's bring on CJ Wilson. CJ, thanks for joining me. How are you doing today? Gary, I am great. And uh, I'm looking forward to attending Bitblock Boom again. That was my one of my highlights from last year. Well, we, conferences. we had a good conference last year, but this year is going to be even better. Oh my gosh, it's going to be so much better. So I appreciate your support. And I, I guess I met you last year at the mm -hmm. uh, Friday night barbecue dinner. Yeah, yeah. And I think you know, putting barbecue, Bitcoin, and Texas all together is such a natural fit. Um, I, you know, as a former Texan, as a former Texas Ranger, uh, I was more than happy to come back to uh, to Dallas. Although Austin is kind of like a second home for me now, so I think that's going to be a little bit more um, my speed. Well, it certainly uh, is a good place to be living at. It's a good place to be from. I know I'm from South Carolina originally, but I moved out here at 24 and now I'm 67. So I feel comfortable saying I'm from Texas and I'm glad I uh, am with what's happening in some parts of the country. <laughs> As a Californian, I have to take that a little personally. But yeah, I did live in Texas for about 11 years. Um, I think at some point, if I was to... Uh, you know, wave a magic wand and go from the car dealership, which is where I'm at right now, uh, I would definitely end up back in Texas. Yeah, well, that, that shows you're a smart man. That's all that shows is that you're a smart man. Now, before we go any further, uh, one of the questions I ask everybody who comes on here, I have a couple of them I ask everybody because I think these are kind of pertinent questions, and, and I actually want to know. Uh, how did you personally find out about Bitcoin? I don't care when. How, or if you want to include when, you're welcome to, but I'm not trying to get that information out of you. But tell us no, your yeah. Bitcoin story. Uh, yeah, so I, I started as an investor as a teenager. My grandfather was a uh, mathematician, and he got me into like doing technical analysis on stocks when I was like 12, 13 years old as a hobby. So he would like hand me a, like papers and stuff and be like, hey, what do you make of this? You know, and try to challenge me. And then, um, so I started trading uh, stocks when I was 13 years old with my birthday money and my lunch money. So I was always kind of a, uh, I would say, equities-focused person. 
I transitioned into real estate. Um, I got into real estate while I was playing baseball and um, gold, you know, and I liked gold because of the scarcity. I liked the finality of gold. You buy it, you hold it. It's there. It's tangible. Um, and I heard about Bitcoin in 2011, but I wasn't really like I was kind of mystified by the idea that people would want something that someone could generate on their computer. You know, I mean, this is like post Napster. Uh, post, you know, video sharing and stuff like that. And I was like, well, people can just copy the files. That doesn't make any sense, you know? Um, and then I uh, didn't really think anything of it. I kind of let it go by 2013, 2014, Mount Gox, Silk Road, some bad things happened in Bitcoin. And that kept me out of it again. Um, so I, I didn't get into it until after the 2017, 2018 kind of hyperbolic wave crash. I got in at that point at, in the, the low 3,000, 4,000 range, kind of after the dust settled. Um, and the reason why I got in was because of the 21 million coin scarcity thing. You know, understanding the issuance and how there was constant, constantly going to be less and less available. So that's really what got me into Bitcoin. Um, I always understood that a global economy needs a global money. That makes sense. It's been the dollar, um, but with the internet and internet commerce, it makes it easier to transmit digital you know, money. Um, and that's really what got me into it. Um, I've always been a sort of Texan libertarian kind of type and, uh, you know, wanted to protect myself, self-sovereignty, all that stuff. And, um, you know, but I, I, I think like the way the Bitcoin ethos was initially like, hey, buy low and something good might happen. Now it's more like, oh, there's a revolution happening here and I want to be a part of it. Well, you know, I think that's a pretty typical story to um, for many Bitcoiners is that it takes three shots at it before you buy it. I was the same way. It took me three times uh, seeing it before I finally said I need to get some of this. So I think that's pretty typical on the um, on the Bitcoin, on buying Bitcoin there. And so let me ask you a question. Are you trading Bitcoin or are you buying Bitcoin and holding it? So. Yeah, so because you were a trader, all, you said. Yep, yeah, yeah, all of the above. Uh, I actually trade Bitcoin so I can make Bitcoin. So um, you know, I do a lot of I, I I host like groups and stuff like that on Signal or Telegram or whatever, and I kind of explain my thesis, which is basically the lower it dips, the more you want to buy. And if you do want to make money from it, like if you're if that's your job or whatever, or you're like me where you think that it's the ultimate thing, and so you just want more of it, but you don't necessarily have more liquid cash, so you have to kind of you know, shake it back and forth. Um, you do have to be kind of, you know, dollar cost averaging and accumulating as often as possible with whatever money you have. For me, it's my paycheck from the car dealership. But I also transact in Bitcoin um, with cars. And so if a, uh, you know, a, a customer wants to wants me to buy a car off of him and I have to pay him Bitcoin, then I'll, I'll try to buy the Bitcoin back cheaper than I, you know, bought the car off him for. For instance, like so, if, so if Bitcoin's at fifty grand and I pay him one Bitcoin for a, an Audi, then I'll try to buy one point two Bitcoin back at forty grand or something like that. Um, and so that's kind of the way I operate in that regard. I also day trade a little bit, not as much as I used to, um, and I mine. I have a mining company. We're based out of Texas, and uh, we're mining all off grid on natural gas right now. And we're going to so talk I about that. We're going to talk about mining in the next section. We're going to go into that pretty deep because we've never talked about that on this show. So. Yeah. But before we go, we got about three minutes left in this segment. And so before we go into that, I do want to ask you your definition of what is Bitcoin? What is it to you? What is it? Bitcoin is the first money in the history of the world that can be transmitted across space digitally 
and time because you can hold it by yourself and it has no carrying cost. If you have gold, you have to protect it with a safe or guns or whatever, uh, the same way you would have to protect a big bag of cash. But Bitcoin, you can you know hide it in a way that people don't know how much you have or whatever. And I think that modesty aspect of Bitcoin is very good because if you have a lot of gold, a lot of people are going to know. Uh, but you could have tons of Bitcoin and nobody can know about it, uh, which is one of the great things about the Internet today is you can create a pseudonymous personality and be, you know, like Gigi or whatever. Right. Nobody really knows who that is or plan B for that matter. Um, you know, uh, so we don't really know who those people are. We know who Michael Saylor is. You know who I am because of my baseball career and stuff. So I figured, hey, I'm already out here. I might as well advocate for it. But Bitcoin is the best money ever invented. It's the most divisible money ever invented. It's the most futuristic transmission of money ever, ever allowed. And it's the only money ever where you have people at the very bottom of the economic ladder that participate exactly the same as the top of the economic ladder. Yeah, I, I think we had Charlene uh, on here last week, I believe. And we went over to on how Bitcoin helps the people who are at the bottom of the ladder, the unbanked and the people who have mm -hmm. issues like that. Yeah, someone can actually... You know, one of the things I don't think you went over, which I think is very important to, with as many immigrants as we have moving to this country that are maybe working and sending back money to their wife or loved ones in South America or wherever they're from, is the fact that they don't have to pay Western Union 10% to send their money home. Um, yeah. or, or walk into a Western Union office to pick up money and someone knows they're coming out with a bunch of money. Right, so imagine, imagine like dramatic demonstration, right? So uh, if I have to send this much money, whatever this is, to my relatives, Bitcoin costs you about that much <laughs> to send, okay? Uh, whereas Western Union costs you this much. <laughs> so like how much, money, how much money do you want people to receive and how much money do you want to spend to send it, right? I would definitely rather send, you know, spend this much money on the transaction uh, and have that be it. Plus, plus the safety of not, I mean, I don't know this because I haven't been to a impoverished country, but I imagine there are people who just sit outside Western Union waiting for someone to come out because the odds are pretty high. They have some money in their pockets. So just that safety involved also uh, makes it well worth uh, using. Now, we're getting ready to go to a hard break here, but when we come back, one of the things I want to go over is mining. We've never gone over this show, and many of you won't know what it is, but CJ does. So we'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. And welcome back to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. I'm your host, Gary Leland, and today we are joined by my friend CJ Wilson, who is, we're going to bring him back, and we're going to talk about a subject we've never talked about in this show, mining. This is a subject that a lot of people have a hard time grasping. When someone asks me to explain it, I normally say, you don't know how email works and you love it, so you really don't need to know how mining works. It's been here long enough that it's proven it works. But before we really get into mining, CJ, I want to go over, because this is part controlled of the control system, and you mentioned it earlier that there's only 21 million Bitcoin. I have a lot of people who are kind of stumped with that as to why there can't be 22 million Bitcoin, or why can't they add 5 million Bitcoin later? Can we go over that real quick? Yeah, sure. So when Satoshi originally did the code uh, for Bitcoin back in fall of 2008, uh, that was just one of the things that was in there was a scarcity aspect so that you could put a hard cap on the supply. 
What we've experienced in terms of inflation, a lot of it in, in reality for all of us around the world, our hamburgers cost more money, our cars cost more money, our gas costs more money, our electricity, costs, everything keeps going up. That's because they keep putting more money into the system. So if you stop that and there's less money going into the system or the money in the system stays static um, or it trickles in, then what you have to do is compete harder to, uh, you know, re like, I guess, receive value in the world. Um, and one of the ways that they did that was through the proof of work competition called mining. Um, you could call it hashing or you could call it, uh, you know, I mean, I guess it's really what it is. It's hashing. So your computer comes out with this crazy, you know, combination of letters and numbers, and it just keeps pushing new numbers and new numbers and new numbers. And eventually, uh, somebody wins that competition every roughly 10 minutes. Um, Bitcoin's true innovation was adding the difficulty adjustment so that if too many computers came online, that they were able to add a, um, they were able to add basically like a computational digit to the, uh, to the necessary answer to make the answer bigger. And that basically slows down the guesses in terms of success. So actually, I prepared a demonstration for you, Gary. Oh. I actually have here a mine. This is a miner. This is actually like a new what's miner. Um, you can see there it plugs in with like a little smiley face plug on the top. And you got your little uh, data port there. And that's pretty much it. This this thing weighs about 30 pounds. It's a, you can see how big it is. It's a little bit bigger than like a shoebox. And um, mining basically is one of these things running 24-7. Uh, and it's all it's designed to do is specifically compute against the Bitcoin algorithm difficulty. So this machine has like, I don't know, a thousand chips in it or something like that. And this thing is just cranking out guesses. And then eventually those guesses yield some sort of result. But people participate in mining the same way that they would in farming as a sharecropper. So if you have five acres, I have five acres. T together, we have 10 acres. So we agree that whatever we win out of those 10 acres, we're sharing and splitting 50-50. Uh, the mining is worldwide. There's lots of different mining pools. I participate uh, with one called Slush Pool, and they're based out of like Croatia or something. But they have miners all over the world. And there's you know hundreds of thousands of uh, different options for how you can configure a mine. You could have one on your, on you know, just one machine running at home and using the waste heat from this to heat your pool or your house in the wintertime or whatever. It's actually a pretty innovative situation. Yeah, I guess if you were in Siberia, you'd like having that in your house because they're pretty hot. But just so people yeah. know, um, you used to be able to mine Bitcoin with laptops, and then they mm -hmm. started mining Bitcoin with uh, game uh, cards, uh, graphic cards, GPUs. But now that machine that CJ just shows you is an ASIC miner, which is application-specific integrated circuit. And that machine does one thing, and one thing only, it mines. If you decide yeah. to quit mining, you can't use that computer for anything else. That's all it's geared to do is mine. So that's right. that's why it's so good at it. It is an expensive uh, machine compared to a laptop, but you have to have a piece of equipment like that to mine. And I agree with you. I wish they had named it hashing because people just get so mm. confused on this mining uh, term. Mm. I think that's, that the term is more disturbing or harder to understand than, uh, than what it is. And it's sort of. Yeah, sort of. But mining is something that humans have done forever, right? We've been digging for gold, digging for diamonds, digging for rubies, digging for oil. 
you know, like mining is sort of mentally part of the human condition. So I think that's maybe why they, uh, why they, why they went with that. But I, what I would say is, um, you know, the really funny part is as the network power hash rate power has gone up over the last 10 years, uh, it used to be, if I had this thing back in 2010, I would have out hashed the entire network. You'd have had all. You'd have had all the Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so uh, that's. But that 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 economic competition is what drives innovation. Just like airplanes, cars, or anything else. Really, whoever makes the best thing is going to sell the most things. And as a result of that, there's a financial direct incentive to improve and be more efficient, or um, be more efficient, or be uh, faster, or whatever it is. And so. Now the big innovation is how to get more hash rate out of these machines without using as much power. So that's where immersion mining comes in. And that's something that is going to be like the next wave because you can, there's a limit to the hardware, but the hardware lasts a really long time. So you have one of these things, it's five years old, um, and you're going to want to figure out a way to, to generate more power out of it longer because that's a longer ROI. It's just like commercial real estate or something like that. You're basically generating rent from one of these things on a daily basis. Now, when I was at Riot Blockchain taking a tour with them, they, you know, they were just introducing their immersion mining, and they were going over it with us and talking about it. And they told me they could increase their hash rate by fifty percent by doing immersion mining because it's basically keeping the machines cooling. When they increase that hash rate by fifty percent, it's not using more electricity. So you have two choices, right? You can either increase the hash rate for the same electricity, uh, or you can um, you can boost them, you know, with a bigger power unit to put even more power into it to have even higher hash rate. So what some people do if they're power constrained is they run the immersion so that they can have lower energy costs per unit and then add a couple units then other people want to have it so that they have unlimited power and they just want unlimited hashing and they just crank everything up. And when you do that, there is a little bit more of a risk to the machine itself um, or the, or, you know, the operating like longevity of the machine in a, over a long period of time. So it, it's an experimental thing right now for, for Bitcoin. Uh, it's just getting introduced. It's been, I mean, maybe a couple of years that people were doing it with GPUs really at first. Um, and they've been doing it with computers and servers for a long time, but these are very high demand machines that run very hot. Um, and so in places like Texas, it really does help. So, you know, we always hear that Bitcoin is the largest computer network on the planet. How many computers do you think is on the Bitcoin network? We got about a minute and a half left. Well, it's pretty simple. Uh, there's 110 or 120 terawatts of energy, which is a thousand gigawatts. Uh, being used uh, to mine Bitcoin or hash Bitcoin, if you want to call it that. And one of these things makes 3000 watts. Uh, so you can say that there's, you know, 3 million machines online or something like that, maybe. Okay. And that, so, so, okay. I didn't know it was that easy to figure out. <laughs> Thanks for telling me that. So we've got the mining down in like a minute and a half. Can you tell me what a node is? Cause that's pretty integral to uh, Bitcoin also. Right. So a node is basically your own sort of like digital toll booth uh, for the Bitcoin network. If you imagine someone's passing through, uh, you can let them through. And you put your node out there on the network, and the way Bitcoin consensus works is it's decentralized. So my node is connected to 10 other computers. And if somebody else shuts one down, it goes and grabs another connection from somebody else. 
Um, and what that does is, is it allows when the transaction is broadcast, you have one transaction that hits 10 computers. Those 10 computers talk to 10 other computers, 10 other computers, 10 other computers. And then all of a sudden you have this massive scale of the broadcast. Instead of having one central authority, all of us are in unison, like pulsing, you know, if you imagine that. And so that pulse of the transactions goes through the whole network at the same time. And that's what's creating a decentralized ledger sheet, basically, um, as to what's, yes. what's happening. So that no one party can change it without the other people or other nodes involved agreeing that, they, that it should be changed. No one person can do that. Now, when we come back, CJ, I want to go over the Bitcoin Today Coalition, which you're, you've started, basically, and involved in heavily, and go into that and some information about proof of work. And we'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. Welcome back to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. I'm your host, Gary Leland. And today, I'm joined by C.J. Wilson of the Bitcoin Today Coalition. Um, let's talk about the Bitcoin Today Coalition real quick. Um, that's an organization that you started. Um, Amanda is, uh, Cavalera is with you, and I believe Jimmy Song and others. Can you tell us about the Bitcoin Today Coalition? Which I think the name is great. <laughs> BTC. What a great... Did y'all... Y'all must have said, let's make a name that comes up with BTC as the initials. Yeah, we had, we, had to have, we had to have Bitcoin in the name, and we had to have it come out to BTC. So we tried all this different stuff. Um, we were like, oh, Bitcoin Today Foundation. I was a bunch of different ideas. But you know, basically, we started that um, because I think we had been seeing governments get things wrong. And we, we realized that as outward-facing Bitcoiners with public names, we had to basically take it upon ourselves. Um, to fix the roads, so to speak, which is sort of a meme in the Bitcoin community. Um, and, you know, Bitcoin does not have a foundation the way Ethereum does, where there's like some pool of money that's just going towards lobbying and stuff like that. Um, and we don't have, there's not like yield farming in Bitcoin the same way. So we just basically started raising money and started doing some work uh, because we were trying to educate people. And the way that our, our system is set up uh, all of our donors are private, so anybody that wants to give money to us can. We go to D.C. Uh, once or twice a month. We go speak to sitting senators and sitting congresspeople and discuss with them and their staff like what Bitcoin is and why it can make their state a better place to live and why it can make them a better candidate to get reelected. So um, where can people donate then or how can they help uh, the Bitcoin Today Coalition? Yeah, so our... Uh, our Twitter is BTC underscore coalition, I believe. And then our website is bitcointodaycoalition.org. And on there, we have a lot of cool resources. We've also added some advisors recently. Charlene has uh, agreed to join our advisory board, uh, which is great. Um, so we're kind of wrapping it all up in terms of like, you know, you, when you build a team, you have to have people with different uh, diverse strengths and you have to have people that different levels of experience and expertise. Charlene's a former regulator, so she understands that world a lot. Uh, Donna Riddell is a professor and she's been involved in regulation and things like that over the years. So she understands that uh, very well. Uh, Jimmy is a core developer. Uh, I'm just a small business owner, effectively. Amanda is a venture capitalist and has been in the Bitcoin space and mining and stuff like that. So we have a couple different people. We've been adding some veterans recently. Uh, we added Alex Brammer and Jason uh, Jason Browder from 
former military guys. So we're focusing on um, the uh, we're focusing on uh, you know national security and things like that. And Robert Malka is an education expert who actually has been working very hard to do different educational programs. So we figure, hey, we're an education based system. We have to figure out a way to educate people. And I think a perfect example of that was with the way we wrote the book. Uh, where we had, you know, a bunch of different people do it. And those people all had different skills and different things to offer. So uh, having people based in different jurisdictions is great for us because then it allows us to say, go to somebody from California or Texas or Colorado or Wyoming. And hey, this is what's happening in your state. Do you want to participate in this? Do you want to learn more about it? Would you like to visit a Bitcoin mine in your state? And those are the things that we try to facilitate so they can see the real tangibility behind the network as opposed to just what they're being told. Because as we all know, it's good to be skeptical of what you're told. It's better to see it for yourself, do your own research, and really touch it yourself to, to know what something is. Because otherwise, you're just relying on trust, which is not how Bitcoin's based. And a lot of people get burned in financial markets and in real estate transactions and stuff like that when they overly trust people without really verifying who has access to what information or who has access to what type of you know, goods and services. Now, you mentioned the book, so I'll go ahead and mention this. We did write a book, book together, CJ, myself, and six other people spent six days in a duplex writing a book, basically. We wrote a book in five to six days. As, as a, and as Pete says, he's taken him longer to write blog posts than it took to write this book. So, yeah. <laughs> so we got this thing out with eight of us working on it. We got it out really quickly. And this is a book that is a tool um, for you. I mean, when you go visit somebody, a senator or a congressman or whatever, you can leave this as you're leaving. And it's qu a quick read to the point, covers this uh, Bitcoin from all aspects. Um, how's that working for you and the T T Bitcoin Today Coalition? It's, it's great. It's actually great because it's a tangible thing that you can give to somebody and then it sits on their desk and then people ask about it. And it's a conversation piece. So I have a couple on my desk at, uh, in my office and I'll have people come in and I'll be like, hey, here's a book. Check it out. You should read this. If you have questions, let me know. Because um, a lot of people think that Bitcoin is this, right? They think that there's actually some sort of like little piece of metal that's a Bitcoin. And, oh, this is the thing. Oh, this is worth 40 grand. Why is this worth 40 grand? Uh, but it's not. So it's, you know, giving somebody a tangible uh, reference with that they can go back and check over and check over again. Because like you said, it's not the first time that you hear something that you automatically get it and it clicks. Sometimes things click very slowly and it takes multiple twists to get it into place. So going in through and reading the progressive cases for Bitcoin, Main Street and Bitcoin adoption and uh, you know, more about mining or national security, things that people might not be considering when they just see the price on television. And so we have, I, I think our role is basically, you know, how, do we, how do we make Bitcoin a, a 400 million, 800 million, you know, 1 billion person network? as opposed to the 160 million or something that it is today. If we can ramp that population up because we're talking to the key 500 people in DC, uh, that will, you know, that will really unlock like a force multiplier the same way the Bitcoin network does with nodes. And we figure that that state Senator or that U S Senator or something can crack open. And then all of a sudden they're going to connect and then they, they're going to have a much bigger network of, you know, 10, 20, 40 people that they talk to about it. And people and they're a trusted source at that point. So that's what really helps. Well, I think that's a perfect uh, example you brought up showing a simulated coin that has the Bitcoin logo on it. It, it. I can't believe how many times I have spent 
20 minutes talking to someone because they ask out in the wild and they'll say, hey, tell me about Bitcoin. And after 20 minutes of me explaining Bitcoin, they ask me, hey, do you have one on you? <laughs> I'm going, I'm going, wow, I really did a bad job. I mean, if I talk to them 20 minutes and they still don't understand that it's not a physical item, but I usually answer, no, nah, I wouldn't be carrying $40,000 on me everywhere I go. I mean, so I think, I think that's actually, I've started like pulling out a coin and I start with that to get that out of their mind. Cause I think that mm. that hurts their listening. Cause the whole time they're wondering if I have one in my pocket. So right. are they relating everything I say to the coin? So I've stopped uh, using that at all. You know, the thing also, I don't think a lot of people understand about Bitcoin. The number one thing I hear from people, I had a guy I was walking in the neighborhood yesterday ask me, um, gosh, I just wish they didn't cost $39,000. They don't understand they could buy $5 worth of Bitcoin. Right. And, and this, is, this is how people have thought of wealth for thousands of years. Like a gold coin that they can touch and they can lose and they can potentially melt down smaller. But the thing is, if this was worth, if you tried to make this into 40,000 divisible units, that would be really hard. You know, that would be very hard to cut this into 40,000 pieces and have it be uniform. Um, so that's really the genius of the divisibility. So, but you do really need a phone for that. You do need a phone to explain, uh, to show them, you know. So I have, like, obviously I have a physical miner here that's just sort of sitting here, uh, you know, bad investment in the sense that it's sitting here and not hashing. But when you show them the rest of your uh, network hashing on your phone uh, and you can say, hey, I can log into my account, you can watch it, then they can see how it works. And then I wear a T-shirt a lot um, that says you can buy a fraction of a Bitcoin. So if I'm going to places where I know that's going to be a topic of conversation, I wear that as an icebreaker because people will be like, wait, you can buy a fraction of a Bitcoin? And they're like, Phew! it like <laughs> blows their minds. And then you explain, you're like, yeah, hey, check it out. Sign up for Cash App. I'll send you five bucks right now. And they're like, wait, I could buy $5 worth? And then like you just really like peel away all the layers. So I think what will happen eventually is we'll, we'll explain it like Satoshis are the currency, you know. And Bitcoin is just an amount of Satoshis. And if you, do, if you explain it the other way, right, like, dude, you can buy 2,600 Satoshis for $1. They'll be like, wow, that sounds like a lot. And you're like, yes, it is. It's a lot. You should buy 2,600 right now. Um, maybe even maybe even fifty thousand right now. You know, you could do that, and then you show it to them on Cash App or Swan or you know any of these any of these uh, places that have that sort of Sats designation strike, and uh, bam, you're up and running. And I think uh, that will happen someday. That will happen someday. Uh, but until then, we're just trying to explain it to them, and we'll be right back with CJ and more Bitcoin talk in a moment. And welcome back to the Bitcoin Boomer Show. Gary Leland here, your host, joined by C.J. Wilson. Now, C.J., you've made a... First of all, let me say this, C.J., you've got more props than anybody who's been on the show. You got your mining machine, you got your coin, you had your phone ready when you needed to pull it out. You're prepared to do, uh, to do interviews, I can tell you that right now. You did make one comment, though, that if you took that gold-colored uh, Bitcoin, fake Bitcoin, mm -hmm. and divided it into 40,000 pieces, it would be real small. But actually, they'd have to divide that into 100 million pieces, because that's how small Bitcoin can be divisible by, is 100 million. Right, right. And that's the whole thing. It's like... You know, people talk about, uh, let's say, the atomic structure of something, right? And I can hand you a baseball bat made out of wood, right? 
and that weighs 32 ounces and you're like, oh, it's tangible. And like you can picture it cut up into little pieces, like maybe 32 pieces of one ounce each. But then once you get past that, the human mind doesn't really scale downwards onto the atomic level. So it's very easy to say that if we can make SATs the, the, the bottom up, then you can count to a billion a lot easier than you can count to one billion, you know? And um, one Satoshi, yeah, if you're thinking about it, that would be, that would be uh, 100 millionth of this <laughs> if this was one Bitcoin. And that would be like, you know, oops, that just blew one off. They lost a, lost a Satoshi. Um, you'd, have to grind it, you'd have to grind it in the dust. <laughs> to yeah, and then that. the dust is very hard to transport. And then you like open the bag and some of it flies away and you just lost those your transaction fees, right? So it really wouldn't work. Uh, that's why the digital scarcity and the digital divisibility are much more tangible for us in this generation. Uh, and really from, from the last, I would say, 15 to 20 years, as we've gone through file storage and sending emails and stuff like that, we've learned how to work with digital bytes of information. And we kind of know intrinsically what a gigab- if a gigabyte is, is a lot, if we're sending an email and it's like a five gigabyte email, you know that's kind of a big email to send. Um, so, you know, it's things like that. You get through these, these kind of mental hurdles, uh, and fluency really in the technology. And that's how we developed this, I would say, familiarity with everything digital these days. And during time and generations coming and going, people will just naturally have absorbed this information. Um, something I do want to go over though, that I think is kind of important yesterday, uh, a bill passed in New York, I believe, um, about proof of work. Uh, can we go over that? I want to spend some time on that because I think that's pretty, not only important, interesting. Sure. So there was a, you know, really public movement recently from one of the founders or one of the, you know, C-suite level executives at a company called Ripple. Uh, and they they said that they're going to spend $5 million uh, basically attacking Bitcoin. Uh, like straight up, we don't like the way Bitcoin uses proof of work and we're going to prove that we have muscle. So we're going to spend $5 million telling everybody about it and try to get Bitcoin to, to, to change the consensus rules to proof of stake. The problem with proof of stake is that's literally how the banking system works today. You have some super wealthy person that can start a bank because they have money and then they make all the interest on fractional lending. So that, that, that system has proven over the last hundred plus years to be very oppressive to lower income people and very selectionist. So you can't just go into like a Swiss bank, for instance, unless you have five or $10 million, which by the way, excludes pretty much everybody. So, uh, and then if you go to Bank of America and you have only $3,000 to start a checking account, they're gonna charge you $25 a month to have that open. So it's kind of like the, the typical banking system is actually a lot of BS. Um, so Bitcoin uses proof of work, which is the mining competition or the hashing, to prove that everybody that is receiving Bitcoin uh, earned it by keeping the, the network strong and the keeping the network secure. Um, so that's really the thing. Now, proof of work does require energy to use because it's competition. People tend to buy more machines over time and get more power usage. The, the, the misconception is that this power is somehow uh, an egregious use, right? Um, but there's all these articles and things like that. If you follow me on Twitter, you can see that I constantly link to things that are debunking these myths about how much energy Bitcoin uses in the sense that Christmas lights in America use more uh, energy than the entire Bitcoin network does in the world. And last year, Bitcoin moved about $4.5 trillion worth of, uh, you know, worth of transactions. 
let alone the trillion dollars of market cap that, that consists of all the wealth that we're holding in it. So, you know, Christmas lights definitely did not generate $4 trillion of uh, economic activity. So it, when people say stuff like, uh, oh, well, there's this, you know, country in, you know, Northern Europe, or there's this country in South America that uses less electricity than Bitcoin. It's like, yeah, their standard of living is a lot less. Less people have MacBook laptops, less people are going to college, they have no electric cars. Um, so yeah, that's totally inconsequential. Also, Bitcoin's transactional output last year was a one and a half trillion dollars more than the entire economic output of the of America. So America is this big powerhouse, did $2.9 trillion last year uh, in total GDP. <laughs> okay, that's it. And Bitcoin moved oh, like $4.5 trillion in that same period of time. So like which one of those is a more efficient use of, of energy? The amount of energy that America requires to operate a, you know under $3 trillion economy is like 150 times more than Bitcoin. So there's like this this kind of misconception and it's about framing because people, once again, they hear these big words like terawatts or gigawatts and they don't actually know what that means. Um, but there's more energy wasted like in Canada on hydroelectric than there is used by Bitcoin in the entire world. So when this bill comes out in New York that these state senators say that, oh, we're going to ban proof of work mining for two years as a result of it's using too much energy and it's bad for the environment. It's like, well, where's the ban on, you know, laundromats? Where's the ban on hair dryers? Where's the ban on, you know, like, because you could just use a towel to dry your hair. You don't need a hair dryer. But a hair dryer is, is like 1600 watts, which is like half of a Bitcoin miner. So it's like, and you're not making 20 bucks a day using your hair dryer, you know? So there's like this stuff that comes up. Anyways, uh, we've been trying really hard uh, to push with some of the people from the other, uh, other people around uh, Foundry and some of the other like, you know, East Coast based mining operations. Uh, have been pushing towards this a lot, but the, you know, I got blocked by like three state senators that that proposed the bill, um, you know, because we're actually telling the truth. And the bottom line is that this guy Chris Larson is paying those people. Uh, so we look today, and he's giving fifty thousand to this person, thirty thousand to this person, five thousand to this person. He's literally funding their campaigns to get reelected um, as part of his five million dollars spend. And that's really the nature of why this bill is even coming up. There's no reason for this bill other than a, basically an attack because Ripple currently is being sued by the SEC for being a unlicensed security when they issued 100% of the Ripple to their board and their board basically dumps it onto the market in 90-day intervals. So it's like a really weird like marketing thing. Crypto is very much Wild West and Bitcoin uh, doesn't have a CEO or a marketing department, unlike Ripple, unlike Ethereum. Um, and that's why really it's, it's important for us when we're talking to people to separate Bitcoin and everything else because it's a different mechanism. But proof of work is honest. You have to work like literally to get it. You can't just like stand there and receive it for free. There's no discount Bitcoin. There's no like founders Bitcoin. There's no uh, venture capital invest 100000 and we'll give you $300,000 worth like there was with Solana. So it's like a lot of really weird stuff. That it's the same reason you don't space. see any uh, commercials by Bitcoin. <laughs> I mean, there's not an office of Bitcoin that they're running things. Hey, CJ, before we go, um, we got about a minute and a half left. P please tell people uh, where they can follow you um, or uh, find out more about you or uh, whatever. Yeah, so uh, my Instagram is uh, CJ Wilson Photo. And that's where I kind of, you know, tell stories, show pictures of my kids and, and talk about a little bit of everything in my life, which is car dealer, uh, Bitcoin miner, Bitcoin advocate, author, blogger, you know, that type of stuff. 
uh, dad, of course. And then um, uh, Straight Edge Racer, my Twitter, which I think you got on the bottom of the screen. Um, I'm a lifetime uh, drug-free athlete, so that's what that's what the Straight Edge thing and racer, obviously, I like cars. Um, I came up with that in like 2008, so it's a little bit you know antiquated now. It could be like you know laser eyes, dude. But um, <laughs> yeah, I tweet a lot about Bitcoin, and um, I meet a lot about Bitcoin. I go to meetups all over the place. I give out books. Um, I meet with state senators and mayors and anybody that'll that'll take my call, anybody that'll take my uh, my meeting, anybody that'll have coffee or tea with me or you know steaks or whatever. And I would say that if you're interested in Bitcoin, go to a meetup locally. Wherever you are, there are meetups. You can go to bitcoin-only.com and there is a section on meetups. So they're, they're happening all over the world. You can sit there in the back, never announce yourself. Nobody's going to ask you any questions and you can just listen. Well, and that education is so important. We'll have to have you at a Bitblock barbecue here in Dallas one month. Um, but I'm in. Thanks for joining us, CJ. And we'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. And welcome back to the show. I think we had a great talk today with CJ. CJ is a very smart guy, and he had all his props with him, too. So he was prepared to uh, tell us about Bitcoin today. So thanks again for joining. And I do want to make sure and remind you to join us next week. And please tell your friends about it. Because Bitcoin, I say this every week, but it's so true. Bitcoin is a world-changing technology. It's not. It's also life-changing. I was going to say it's not. It is. But it's more than just a life-changing technology. It's a world-changing technology. And you really want to get on board now. It's not too late. A lot of people tell me, they go, Bitcoin is $39,000. I missed the boat. I wish I'd gotten on when it was $5,000. Or like CJ said, in the mid $3,000. Of course you do. Of course you do. But I don't think anyone who ever bought Bitcoin, the people who bought it at $100 said, oh, I missed the boat. I could have gotten it for $5 a year ago. And the people who bought it at $1,000 said the same thing. They could have got it at $100 a year or two before. So everybody's said that who's gotten into Bitcoin. So don't say, I can't get into Bitcoin because it's too expensive. Because first of all, you know you can buy as little as $5 worth. And the belief is it's going to go up. I saw Kathy Woods from ARK Investment the other day state that she feels 100% sure Bitcoin will be a million dollars in 10 years. Will it be? I don't know. I'm not a financial advisor. So don't put more money in it than you can afford to lose. But maybe you want to put a little bit in there just in case, okay? Now, I do want to make sure that if you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, you know about my Friday night barbecue. Last Friday of every month, I do a barbecue over in Dallas. You can find out about that at bitblockbarbecue.com. You want to eat some Texas barbecue? Fly on in here to Texas and join me, and we'll have some barbecue and talk about Bitcoin. I also want to thank again the folks here at Biz TV and Biz Talk Radio. They just take care of me completely, and I really appreciate the help. Now, remember, if you have any questions you'd like me to bring up on a show, send them to me at GaryLeland at gmail.com. That's GaryLeland at gmail.com, and I'll try to bring them on the show and ask one of our uh, hosts, or one of our guests, let me say, those questions, and we'll see if we can get those answered for you. And please, follow me on Twitter. On Twitter, I'm just Gary Leland. Matter of fact, I'm Gary Leland everywhere. So no matter what your social media is, go to Gary Leland. So we're ending another show. We'll be back next week for the Bitcoin Boomer Show. And I want to thank you a lot for joining me, and I hope you have learned something about Bitcoin. 
because I did, and I've been in this a long time. See you next week.